Okay, good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Historic Preservation Commission hearing for Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. When we reach the item you're interested in speaking to, please line up on the screen side of the room or to your right. Each speaker will be allowed up to three minutes and when you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. When your allotted time is reached, I will announce that your time is up and take the next person queued to speak. Please speak clearly and slowly, and if you care to, state your name for the record. I'll ask that we silence any mobile devices that may sound off during these proceedings. And I will take roll. Commission President Matsuda. Here. Commission Vice President Nagas Warren. Here. Commissioner Baldoff. Here. Commissioner Campbell. Here. Commissioner Foley. Present. Commissioner Vergara. Here. And Commissioner Wright. Here. Thank you, Commissioners. First on your agenda is general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the Commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the Commission except agenda items. With respect to agenda items, your opportunity to address the Commission will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. Again, if you have general public comment, you need to come forward. Seeing no one coming forward, general public comment is closed. We can move on to department matters. Item one. Department announcements. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Ritz Sucre Department staff. Just wanted to provide you an update on some recent matters that were before the Board of Supervisors. Um, yesterday, our staff um, successfully defended an appeal of a CEQA document related to a project that the Commission approved at 2395 Sacramento Street. On November 3rd, um, the HPC unanimously granted a certificate of appropriateness to. Um, construct basically two horizontal additions on existing city landmark number 115, the Health Sciences Library. Um, so the Board of Supervisors um, successfully um, uh, deny, I always mix up the wording, but deny the appeal from the applicant and upheld the CEQA determination on the project. Um, other than that, um, we have no other additional up 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 updates. Thank you. Thank you. Very good, Commissioners. Commission matters. Item two, consideration of adoption draft minutes for January 17th, 2024. Members of the public, I don't really see any, but members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the Commission on their minutes. Again, you need to come forward. Seeing no one coming forward, comment on the minutes is closed and they are now before you, Commissioners. Motion to approve. I'll second that. Thank you, Commissioners, on that motion to adopt the minutes. Commissioner Baldoff? Uh, yes. Commissioner Campbell? Yes. Commissioner Vergara? Yes. Commissioner Wright? Yeah. Commissioner Foley? Aye. Commissioner Nagaswarn? Yes. And Commissioner President Matsuda? Yes. So move, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously, seven to zero. Item three, Commission comments and questions. Uh, I have a um, an informational, I guess, announcement for the Commission, uh, the Chinatown branch of the San Francisco Public Library will come before us at our next hearing on the 21st, and they are offering a site visit to the commissioners. So if the commissioners are interested in uh, going on a site visit, it will be about an hour or an hour and a half, and I have the days uh, available for that visit, and um, we can have up to three commissioners per session. So it would be either Friday, this Friday, Monday, Tuesday, or next Friday. So please let me know. And then the second thing under disclosures, uh, 
Commissioner Nagas Warren and I have been sitting on the Historic Preservation Technical Advisory Committee um, regarding the waterfront, which is part of our agenda today under agenda item number seven. Um, and so we just wanted to disclose our participation in that. That's all, thank you. If there's nothing further, commissioners, um, I did uh, have a request of you. Next time we are scheduled to meet on February 21st, we have a scheduled ARC meeting as well as our regular hearing. Our regular hearing is quite full, um, and we expect Commissioners Campbell and Baldoff to be absent on that day, which will bring your number down to five. And so if we have any potential conflicts or recusals, we may not be able to hear some of the items. So I would ask that you review those items um, in case there are any potential conflicts. Um, and that's it. Um, item four, election of officers. In accordance with the rules and regulations of the San Francisco Historic Preservation Commission, the president and vice president shall be elected at the first regular meeting of the Historic Preservation Commission held after the first day of January or a subsequent meeting. At your first hearing this year, you continued this matter to today. We should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on the election of officers. Again, you must come forward. Seeing no one coming forward, public comment on the election is closed and it is now before you, commissioners. Uh, Commissioner Foley? I'd like to elect President um, Matsuda and Vice President Ruchura as our uh, president and vice president for the next uh, election term. I'll there, second that. If there are no other nominations, we will take up the motion to elect Commissioner Matsuda as president and Commissioner Ruchira as vice president. On that motion, Commissioner Baldoff? Aye. Commissioner Campbell? Yes. Commissioner Regara? Yes. Commissioner Wright? Yes. Commissioner Foley? Aye. Commissioner Nagas Warren? Yes. And Commission President Matsuda? Yes. So move, Commissioner's Thank you, motion everyone. passes unanimously seven to zero. We have a good team here. Um, consideration of items proposed for continuance. Item five, case number 2019-017325 COA. <laughs> At 109 Liberty Street, a certificate of appropriateness is proposed for continuance to February 21st, 2024. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on the continuance, only on the matter of continuance. Seeing no one coming forward, public comment is closed and your continuance calendar is now before you. Is there a motion, motion. to continue? Motion to approve continuance. Second. Thank you, commissioners. On that motion to continue, item five as proposed. Commissioner Baldoff? Aye. Commissioner Campbell? Yes. Commissioner Regara? Yes. Commissioner Wright? Yes. Commissioner Foley? Aye. Commissioner Nagas Warren? Yes. And Commissioner President Matsuda? Yes. So move, commissioners. That motion passes unanimously seven to zero. Placing us under your regular calendar for item six, case number 2023-010074-CRV for fiscal years 2024 through 2026 proposed department budget and work program. This is for your consideration to adopt a recommendation for approval. 
Hello, commissioners. My name is Katie Lay, and I am the budget and grants analyst at the planning department. So before I delve into the presentation today, I just want to preface that the budget discussed today may change over the coming weeks and will continue to be adjusted until the Board of Supervisors pass the budget for the next two fiscal years in late July. So to give you an idea of what we'll be covering today, we'll start off with an overview and some updates from the mayor's office. Then we'll go into some background and highlights from the department. And then we'll look at the volume trend, revenue, expenditures, the work program, and end with our calendar and what to expect next. The next three slides are from the controller and mayor's office budget kickoff meeting, which they held back in December 2023, where the mayor's office released budget instructions for fiscal years 24 to 26. And the instructions that they shared with us included the need to prioritize improving public safety and street conditions, economics, uh, citywide economic vitality, reducing homelessness and transforming mental health service delivery, and accountability and equity in services and spending. As an overview, they shared that the rate of expenditure growth is far outpacing the city's general fund revenues, which is creating a $245 million deficit in fiscal years 24 to 25, and a $554 million deficit in fiscal years 25 to 26, which with worsening defects in the coming years. And because of this, they asked departments to reduce their general funds by 10% in each fiscal year. The mayor's office projected that the city's general fund will have a deficit of $799 million over the next two fiscal years. And just for reference, last year's two-year projection was a deficit of $728 million. Some reasons behind this deficit projection include high office vacancies, increased litigation costs from business tax disputes, slower than anticipated recovery in, hospita in the hospitality industry, reduced local and state sales tax, and one-time FEMA and fund balance budgets. For some background and highlights into our own department, for economic cycles, we'll have seen a softening in volume and revenue since 2018 and continue to do so as well as less revenue compared to previous years. In terms of revenue, we reduced our general fund by $920,000 as instructed by the mayor's office and we reduced our fee revenue by $3 million. And as I mentioned earlier, the mayor's office projects a citywide deficit of $799 million in the budget and the out year. And the need to prioritize citywide economic vitality and accountability and equity in services and spending. The majority of the planning department's budget is based on fee revenue projections, and in order to project fees, we look at historical volume trends. The graph here shows the actual building permit and case volume trend from fiscal years 2014 to 2015, all the way through fiscal years 2022 to 2023, and the projected volume in 23 to 20, fiscal years 23 to 24. And as we can see, the volume is projected to be just slightly lower than it was last year. 
Looking at revenue, the department proposes to reduce fees by approximately $3 million in the operating fund from the current year, and this consists of reducing revenue by $4 million and assuming approximately $1 million in consumer price index adjustment for a net reduction of $3 million. And this reflects revenue trends of the past several years. The grants and special revenues budget is expected to stay relatively high in the budget year. The out year shows lower amounts because we don't yet know what the grant funding opportunities will be. The department will receive a small percentage of anticipated development impact fees that will be collected in fiscal years 2024 to 2025 and 2025 to 2026. And this will be used to recover costs associated with administering various development impact fee processes and programs. And this is just lower than in previous years based on expected revenue. Interdepartmental services is expected to remain relatively similar over the next two fiscal years. We are reducing our project recovery next fiscal year because some projects are going to be put on hold based on the current fiscal outlook. And these projects are subject to change over the next few months as departments continue to refine what services to request from the planning department in the upcoming years. And we always revisit these in the second year to determine whether or not it will actually happen. The general fund support reflects the $920,000 reduction in fiscal years 24 to 25 and 25 to 26 to align with the mayor's office um, reduction instructions. Looking at expenditures, personnel costs make up the majority of the budget. We anticipate these costs to be 63% in the budget year and 70% in the out year. The personnel costs listed here assume that some vacant positions will be removed from the budget. We see an increase in the out year due to upcoming negotiations, CPI, and fringe and benefits. The overhead rate is set by the controller's office and will likely change as budget development continues. Non-personnel services include equipment leases, software, and contracts, and we intentionally reduced our contracts to create savings, and we increased our software ex expenditures due to a shift from work order costs to non-personnel services costs, and we increased our budget for translation and interpretation services. Materials and supplies will likely increase, um, will slightly increase in the budget year compared to previous years due to additional data processing costs and staff working in the office more compared to when staff were mostly working from home during the COVID years. The majority of the project's budget is related to grant and IPIC funded expenditures and more, ex more specific expenditures will be known once a grant is actually awarded to the department. Interdepartmental services will continue to change throughout the budget cycle as other departments share cost estimates for what their services will be in the next two years. We believe that we'll be able to see some savings from other departments and what they charge us. The largest expenses are rent, city attorney, and technology support. And those budgets will be, and those budgets will be loaded um, after the department submits to the mayor's office. This reflects the work program as currently proposed and division specific FTEs may change as we identify which vacant positions will be cut. 
the budget equity tool, which was first piloted back in fiscal years 2021 to 2022, is a process and set of descriptors for the department to assess how budget proposals will benefit or burden communities of color and other vulnerable and historically marginalized groups. And to be counted as centering equity, at a minimum, a work program area must prioritize and center its work in an equity issue area and an equity geography or an equity population. And with these criteria defined, our senior managers reviewed their division's budget proposals using this methodology and listed work program areas and contracts that met this criteria. Overall, the outcome of fiscal years 2024 to 2025 resource allocation is that 23% of all work programs would center equity. And here are the details of the criteria that were used to determine whether a work program is centering equity. This is our budget calendar. So we met with the Planning Commission last month to review our draft and work our draft budget and work program, and we'll be meeting with them again tomorrow to request approval of the proposed budget and work program. We'll submit the budget to the mayor's office on February 21st. The mayor's proposed budget will be published on June 1st, and the budget will be considered by the Board of Supervisors in June. And so with that, we respectfully request that you approve our resolution recommending adoption. Thank you, and please let us know if you have any questions. Very good, thank you. With that, we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on their work program and budget. Seeing no one coming forward, commissioners, public comment is closed, and um, this matter is now before you. Commissioner Baldoff. Yeah, um, thank you for the presentation. Can you Commissioner use your microphone, please? Thank you for the presentation. Um, I was wondering if you could explain um, on the graph of planning and case permit volume the miscellaneous permit category because it feels like the building permits are up relative to 1415 and are trending that way. And the planning cases are sort of I, I, maybe down marginally, but it's really this category of miscellaneous permit that um, seems to be where the deficit is. Hi, uh, Deborah Landis, um, planning staff. So the miscellaneous permits are referrals from other agencies, both city and state. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, like all of the other volume, really nothing that we control, uh, but they, they have been trending more down. Um, so we're, we're getting fewer referrals. But can you explain what, the, what kind of projects are referrals? So I'll happily uh, opine, if you don't mind. So for example, the state alcohol beverage and control ABC will reach out to planning and ask us for a verification that a certain land use is present on a site to ensure that they can have a certain type of alcohol license, for example, or public health will reach out to planning to verify that a restaurant has been legally um, authorized there. So, you know, planning's, per, planning's role is to basically deal with um, uses on the site 
which is different than DBI's role, which get, governs occupancy. And were those reimbursed in most activities case, or not? Um, in most cases, I don't think we charge for miscellaneous permit referrals. Okay. I guess just to put my question on the table and um, is that I know we're in a budgetary problem, but I'm always concerned that we're asking staff to do more than less. And I, um, I don't, how, what is the number of full-time equivalent positions that are going to go unfilled to make this budget work? Sorry about that. Uh, Tom DeSanto, I'm the Director of Administration at the Department. So um, with the proposed budget that's in front of you, we'll have about um, 20 vacancies that will remain unfilled. Um, so every budget has an attrition number in it, and those positions will be held vacant to meet the attrition number, which is about $1.9 million in our budget. So... Um, Anyway, and then of course during the operating year, people come and go. But right now, there'll be about 20 vacancies that will cover our budgeted attrition level. But then, is the work plan for 20% less work? Um, no, the attrition number is assumed in the work plan. So when we do our FTE count, so. Uh, the way the budget works is that the attrition number that's in the budget generates an FTE count that's a negative. So, for example, I'm one position, but if the attrition is 10%, my FTE is worth 0.9% um, or, or 0.9 FTE. So the work program already takes attrition out of it. So it, it shows available FTE to do the work. So, so the attrition is already netted out of that number. Okay, but but just to finish this for my own edification, if nothing else, I don't show 20% less planning case and permit volume from in this chart from um, last year to this coming year. So what happens? I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question. Well... I think I can assist a little bit. So I think the planning and permit case volume is based on our estimate of what those projects will be in basically trending within the city. Is that correct, Tom? Right. So that's what you're finding is that we have to provide an assumption for what we think the case volume and permits will be over the next two years. And then obviously we scale our staff accordingly based on that assumption. But you're scaling your staff down by 20% with much less of a decrease in volume than 20%, it seems. Yeah. Well, so I, I guess to answer that question, we, we look at the actual cash walking in the door, and based on what we can afford to pay for, we have to scale back our staff 20%. It's right, the volume's not going down 20%, but the, at the end of the day, we can only pay for what we can pay for given the revenue that's walking through the door. I, I'll also add that in the years that 
Um, you see the high volume in the graph where a lot of big projects, what we're seeing now is a lot of small projects. So you aren't seeing Salesforce towers being built that have large fees associated with them. You're seeing small projects that have small um, fees associated with them. So even though the project level isn't decreasing at the same rate, the, re the revenue is coming down significantly because these represent smaller fees for smaller projects. And so it's the balance of, you know, um, how fast can people get through the work given that there's fewer people doing the work. That's the balance. And so at the, at the end of the day, um, we can only budget expenditures that have actual revenue behind them. That's the reality of what we're dealing with. So, Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Nagaswaran? Um, as far as I read in the documents that the historic preservation portion and the staff time on that is maintaining pretty stably. Um, and so that part of the program is um, exponentially smaller than the mass of what the planning department is doing, but it's remaining stable. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, that's correct, Commissioner. There's no, the, the budget assumes that the resource level for historic preservation programs remaining constant from the current year. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Wright. Uh, thank you. And, and two points, kind of to follow up um, in, in the graph where it's showing a, a reduction in enforcement. And I'm curious uh, as to why, uh, <clears throat> why, why there's, less enforcement projected? Is it just that there's going to be less of a need or? Uh... Um, so, so these are enforcement um, cases walking through the door, the graph. So this is the actual, actual caseload of what's walking through the door. So what it's showing is that we're seeing fewer enforcement cases walking through the door. That's people that are filing enforcement complaints that we uh, result in an enforcement case. So these are just actual cases walking through the door. So. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, I guess to um, maybe clarify my statement, um, it, it looks fairly consistent for the past few years, but much less than years further back, um, 2018, 2019, back in there. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> to follow on uh, Commissioner Nagaswaran's comment about the historic preservation portion of the budget kind of remaining consistent, um, I, I would just uh, ask um, staff to kind of confirm, but um, the surveys, uh, the SF survey, the, the citywide um, survey, the citywide surveys, yes. Um, will continue to be funded in the same way. And, and I think that um, <clears throat> that uh, would reinforce the priorities of um, equity um, that we've been talking about and also um, future econom economic growth in the city. Yes, that's correct, Commissioner Wright. Um, so you. we do have the citywide survey and funding the survey as a priority within the current planning division's budget. This is probably our biggest way that we are meeting the race and social equity goals that are set out by the commission, and in particular, focusing on the development of our um, more the ethnic context statements, such as the African American historic context statement, Pan Latino historic context statement, Chinese American, and Native American, which we're all anticipating completing over the next year. Thank you. 
Commissioner Foley. Thank you, President Matsuda. I, going to Commissioner Baldoff's uh, questions, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, um, but won't some of the workloads be decreased anyway because of the state law mandates and the work that the Mayor's Office of Board of Supes has done around streamlining? Doesn't that, won't that make the department's job a little easier? Is that true or false? It, it, it will shift the nature of the work is what we have recognized. So while we recognize that some of the work will be what is, I guess, easier to a certain degree, um, we have all sorts of new wonderful state laws that have passed that need to fit within our existing regulatory framework. We also recognize that a lot more of the work will get pushed over the counter. Um, so staffing up our planning counter will become important. So while we might have triggered public hearings for quite a bit of work, we are still doing the same work to a certain degree, but then shifting it basically towards our, our permit counter. Oh, thank you. Um, I like to ask Mr. Sukwe a question just to follow up on Commissioner Wright's question about the citywide survey. That that particular level of funding or the area is not coming out of preservation. Is that correct? It's correct. We have monies that have been given to SF survey um, from past allocations from the board that we've been kind of drawing down. And we do have the ability to continue our historic uh, um, historic uh, reports on various communities moving forward with the current budget. Correct. Okay, thank you. Any other questions from the commission about the budget? Motion to approve. Second. Second. Thank you, commissioners. There is a motion that has been seconded to adopt a recommendation for approval on that motion. Commissioner Baldoff. Yes. Commissioner Campbell. Yes. Commissioner Vergara. Yes. Commissioner Wright. Yes. Commissioner Foley. Aye. Commissioner yes. Nagaswarn. Yes. Commission President Matsuda. Yes. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously, seven to zero. Thank you for the presentation. Commissioners, it'll place us on the final item on your agenda today, number seven, case number 2019-004879, CWP for the Waterfront Resilience Program informational presentation. Hello, Commissioners. I'm Danielle Ngo. I'm a Senior Planner on Resilience in the Citywide Division of SF Planning. Thanks for having us here today for an informational presentation on the San Francisco Coastal Waterfront Flood Study, also known as the Flood Study. The Flood Study is led by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the Port of San Francisco in collaboration with numerous city departments. Staff at Planning have closely collaborated with the Port on this work for over five years, and thanks to a short list of staff, including Jeremy Shaw, Josh Schwitzky, Liz White, Justin Greving, Allison Vanderslice, Jessica Range, Lisa Gibson, and Director Hillis. Today, we're fortunate to host some Port staff in our chambers, and soon you'll hear from Adam Barrett, who is Deputy Program Manager for Planning for the Waterfront Resilience Program, Kelly Capone, the Flood Studies Pro Project Manager and Environmental Lead, and finally, Mark Paez, Historic Preservation Coordinator. Outside of the chambers, this work is also supported by Brad Benson, who's the Waterfront Resilience Director and Director Forbes. Starting January 26th, the project launched a 60-day public comment period that ends on March 29th. 
Due to the size and complexity of the flood study, planning and port staff decided to provide a series of two hearings to HPC. So for today's visit, we'll share an overview of the draft report and environmental review for your information and public comment. We have a subsequent visit, that's a review and comment, scheduled for March 20th to focus on NEPA, the process for Section 106 of the National Historic Preservation Act, and the programmatic agreement for Section 106. The comments received today and on March 20th will be combined into a comment letter from the HPC to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Now, before I hand the mic over to port staff, I wanna emphasize that this public rollout of the draft plan is a significant milestone for the flood study. The planning department has worked closely with the port on amplifying issues such as historic preservation, open space access, racial and social equity, and connectivity to the communities and economy beyond the project area. There's more than a year ahead to, to refine the draft plan, and even as the flood study is finalized, this effort has laid the groundwork for immense investment into the city's climate adaptation and the future of our waterfront. So thanks for your attention and input today, and now I'll pass the mic to port staff. Thank you, Danielle. Uh, if I could have the screen. Uh, my name is Adam Verrett. I am the uh, planning lead for the Waterfront Resilience Program and the flood study at the port, as Danielle mentioned. Here with my colleagues, Kelly Capone, the flood study project manager and environmental lead, and Mark Pias, the port's historic preservation coordinator. Today, as, as Danielle mentioned, we're going to be going over the draft plan that we released to the public uh, just a couple weeks ago and are currently in the public comment period for uh, we're going to be coming back to talk in more detail about the NEPA and Section 106 process, but Kelly and Mark are here as experts on those topics. So the flood study is, um, <clears throat> is a partnership between the City of San Francisco with the Port as lead agency and the Army Corps of Engineers. It's a feasibility study uh, that analyzes the coastal flood risk, uh, including sea level rise, to the City of San Francisco, to the Port's waterfront, uh, over the next 100 years, actually through 2140. And this is really sort of a draft plan that we're putting out here to get to a final recommended plan that would go before Congress to authorize funding for this project. Uh, so we're at a very high level of detail here. Um, and we have a very high level preliminary cost estimate of $13 billion. We almost hesitate to say that because it's, it's really rough and subject to change. Uh, but that's in the report. And if it, and if it gets approved by Congress, then the federal government will pay 65% of the cost with the remainder having to come from state and local and other sources. Uh, I should mention here that we're also working through the Climate SF Working Group with other city agencies, including the Planning Department very closely, Public Works, MTA, PUC, and the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about the risks and hazards that we see along the waterfront, go into the process of the flood study, and go over the draft plan some of the key policy considerations, and then the public comment period and how to make public comment. So to start with the waterfront risks, we're, we're looking at both seismic risk. Um, earthquake can happen at any moment. There's significant seismic risk along the shoreline from liquefaction, ground shaking, and lateral spreading, um, and life safety risk associated with that and building collapse risk. You can see the bottom right photo 
of lateral spreading around along the Embarcadero from the 1906 earthquake. That risk still exists today. Um, so it's, it's a very real uh, factor that we're worried about. And then flooding. Um, and we're looking at, you know, a city on, built on the waterfront, built, uh, you know, a lot of the waterfront is built on fill, low-lying fill, you know, that was reclaimed from the bay. And as the sea levels continue to rise, we see more extreme storms and tides, then the bay, you know, without action will want to start reclaiming a lot of those low-lying lands, in, in particular the areas that, you know, used to be part of the bay or kind of wetlands areas. Um, and so by 2050, we could see up to 500 kind of structures and assets that are vulnerable to flooding. And by the end of the study period in 2140, we could see economic damages uh, of up to $23 billion. So very significant issue that we're working to address here. So the flood study partnership with the Army Corps of Engineers covers the ports uh, jurisdiction of the waterfront. So that goes, extends from uh, Aquatic Park in the north down to Heron's Head Park in Bayview in the south. The city has a number of uh, waterfront adaptation efforts outside of this area on the northern portion uh, in, the, in the Bayview and Hunters Point areas and on the ocean beach frontage as well. Um, but this particular study is focused on the kind of eastern uh, urban and industrial waterfront. So to go into a little bit about the study, the study is, as I mentioned, it's a general investigation and a feasibility analysis that basically results in a recommended plan to Congress and uh, a finding of federal interest in, in investing in this type of project. So as I mentioned, we've just released the draft plan to the public. We're in this 60-day comment period. It's sort of a parallel comment with public agency comment, uh, technical uh, and policy reviews by the Army Corps and by independent uh, peer panels about it. And we're going to be taking all that comment in, refining the plan based on that comment, and coming up with a recommended plan by the end of 2025. That will then go and be presented to Congress. Uh, hopefully for authorization in 2026, um, if it's approved. We would then enter into a phase known as pre-construction engineering and design, which is sort of a detailed design and engineering phase um, that could last you know, five to 10 years and then into construction that really could be built uh, in, in phases over decades uh, based on sort of the available funding, the authorizations from Congress and things like that. So we're at a very high level uh, I, I hesitate to even call it design at this point, of sort of planning and understanding about what we want. And we're going to get into that deeper level of design as we go through this, this rather long process. And so to that point, you know, what we're really deciding now is sort of approximately where do we want to build the flood defenses. So we looked at, you know, a shoreline alignment. We also looked at alignments that go further into the bay that would add bay fill and have less sort of impacts on the land side. And we looked at inland alignments that could even, you know, involve retreating from some areas um, and having, you know, less impacts on the bay, but obviously more impacts on the city. And where we settled is, is pretty much in the middle here. Um, we're also looking at kind of how high do we build flood defenses? What level of sea level rise and kind of storm surge are we working towards? And in what areas? It's not the same approach in each area. And then how much space does it require to sort of grade back to existing city grade? And what can we do with that space? What goes on top, that's coming at a later stage. So what's not in the plan right now are sort of detailed designs and engineering for those flood defense kind of built structures. Uh, we're not looking currently at designs for streets, open spaces, the historic district, infrastructure, stormwater you know, management. We don't have a detailed kind of construction 
plan or phasing plan or, or a funding plan for the local share at this point. So that's all to come later. Again, this is just sort of, you know, the, the, the intro draft plan. And we'll be working through these as we continue through the process. So what have we done? We've done a, a huge amount of sort of risk analysis and kind of cost and benefit analysis. Um, we've done a, over six years, over 150 public events with thousands of attendees. Um, and we last year developed kind of seven draft strategies that we presented to the public um, in fall of 2022 and early 2023. Got feedback on those strategies. They kind of were arranged, kind of what I showed you and use that and the results of the kind of public feedback and the cost and benefit analysis to come up with what we've presented uh, as the draft plan and, and analyze that plan in the, in the EIS as well, in the draft EIS. And so this, you know, there's, there's, uh, it's a fairly unique plan in the sense that this is a new, a little bit of a new territory for the Army Corps of Engineers for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that the typical Army Corps process is to uh, analyze a plan and select a plan based strictly on sort of national economic benefits and a cost to benefit ratio. And the, the higher that is, you're gonna select that plan. But this is actually the first time that we've not only analyzed kind of other factors, uh, including regional economic impacts, such as jobs and small business loss or relocation, environmental benefits, as well as social and, and uh, racial equity benefits as well, um, including a sort of how, how the different strategies uh, variably impact, dis, uh, disproportionately impact vulnerable populations. We did that analysis and developed the plan and selected the plan based on this sort of comprehensive benefit analysis and not only on the national economic development analysis. And that's actually a first nationwide. We hope it becomes a model and we hope it makes it through the process. We're very proud of the work that we've done for that. Um, and the plan itself, you can see in the sort of dashed boxes here, has a series of kind of first actions that I will go through that are built from, you know, essentially 2030 and beyond that would be kind of subject to that sort of congressional authorization or appropriations. Um, and these defend against one and a half to three and a half feet of sea level rise um, and would be, you know, prioritized and phased in. And then for subsequent actions, we would be developing a sort of monitoring and adaptive management plan because we don't know exactly how fast sea level rise is going to occur. So we, you know, we're, we're, we're working towards like developing projects that will, you know, address the next 50 years. But beyond that, we don't know exactly how much more investment we're going to need to be making. And so we're going to be developing this monitoring plan and subsequent actions are going to be you know, addressing higher rates of sea level rise and they will come in and we'll start planning and designing those, uh, those subsequent actions based on certain triggers or thresholds we might reach through our monitoring plan. We also have projects that we're implementing in the near term called the early projects. This is outside of this flood study work, but it is using the Proposition A uh, Embarcadero Seawall Bond from 2018 to, to invest in uh, some seismic and immediate flood uh, risks that exist today. Um, I'm not, it's not the subject of today's presentation, but it may be of interest to this commission at a later time. And so as part of this, we're also developing an uh, environmental impact statement under the National Environmental Protection Act, NEPA. Um, we will also be developing uh, a CEQA 
uh, EIR for the flood study, and we're still kind of working through the approach and the timing and kind of in the beginning stages of doing that. The NEPA has to be done along with the flood uh, study report. Um, and you can see, you know, this is, we also have to be doing sort of environmental compliance, which includes uh, Section 106 compliance uh, under the National Historic Preservation Act, and that's uh, what was mentioned earlier, that we're going to have to be, you know, developing a programmatic agreement and entering into that with the Corps and with the State Historic Preservation Officer, and uh, Kelly and Mark can speak in more detail to that. Um, right now we're working at through looking through the NEPA analysis and identifying kind of significant impacts and mitigations for that. So I'm going to walk through the uh, draft plan itself now. Um, so this is sort of an overview of the big key moves for the draft plan. So we're looking at the flood study area again from Heron's Head Park in the south up to Aquatic Park in the north. Uh, we've divided the plan into four kind of sub areas or reaches as the Army Corps calls them, and I'll go through each one. But in general, what you're looking at here is this sort of thick yellow line is an area where we are elevating the shoreline along with making kind of seismic ground improvements so that those structures that we build don't fail in an earthquake. Um, we would also be seismically uh, making more stable and elevating and adapting the historic wharves and bulkhead buildings in the Embarcadero, including the, also the ferry building. Uh, we would be flood-proofing select buildings, particularly in Fisherman's Wharf, and then adding nature-based features uh, and inland drainage improvements associated with the project. So this really is trying to um, respond to the main themes of public feedback that we've heard over the last six years. So really strong focus on life safety and emergency response, uh, public access and connection to the water, um, focus on people and daily needs, uh, nature-based uh, solutions and habitat, and really centering uh, racial and social equity and environmental justice, particularly in the southeastern communities uh, where, of this study area. So I'll start to go kind of reach by reach, um, starting with Fisherman's Wharf. Uh, and this area goes from uh, Fisherman's Wharf down to about Pier 27. In this area, we see uh, actually kind of largely built on higher ground and protected by existing breakwaters. So we actually don't see as much flood damage in this area. And so here we have sort of a lighter touch solution that in involves kind of flood proofing of key buildings that, that would be kind of in the flooding area and adding uh, kind of low two-foot flood walls around the edges of the piers. Uh, in this area, you can see kind of what these, uh, <coughs> excuse me, what these features might look like, flood proofing the ground floors of the buildings to either keep water out or to kind of minimize damage to the building if water gets in, and then adding kind of short flood walls around the edges of the piers that kind of helps extend the life of those piers from a flooding perspective. Moving to the Embarcadero, in this area we see significant economic damage, significant flood risk, very low-lying area, particularly the area around the ferry building and, and just south of it. Um, in this area, we are proposing to defend uh, up to against up to three and a half feet of sea level rise. So this is actually a longer-term move than you'll see in some of the southern waterfront portions. And the reason for this is that we're looking at an area that's very densely built up has uh, sort of complex and uh, you know systems of utility and transportation infrastructure, very disruptive to do you know a massive construction project here. So we want to do a sort of one-time uh, build. So we want to build to that sort of higher 
projection of sea level rise all at once without having to come back and make that major disruption twice. And in some of the other reaches, we see that there's more space to adapt without having that same level of disruption. And so we can build in phases over time. So here we're looking at raising the shoreline, um, kind of at the existing shoreline edge and the roadway with a gradual transition. So you can sort of can, uh, keep that visual and physical access to the water. Uh, we will also be in red raising the buildings uh, and the wharves and the bulkhead buildings and ferry building and adding those short flood walls around the piers. And let me just provide a little more kind of graphic detail on that. Here you can see sort of a rebuilt and elevated seawall at the shoreline edge, graded back gradually to existing city grade to keep, you know, to do our best to kind of keep that visual connection to the waterfront. And then also adding, uh, elevating and rebuilding the wharf structures, um, as well as the bulkhead buildings would be then put back at the higher elevation um, and then it would transition down to the piers themselves. This plan does not include elevating and adapting the piers themselves, uh, but it does include adding those kind of two foot flood walls that can extend the life of those piers from a flood perspective while we find and, and seek other uh, ways of kind of adapting those piers through public private partnerships and, and other methods. So moving south, uh, into our uh, South Beach and Mission Bay area, which also includes the Mission Creek Channel. Um, in this area, uh, we are proposing to elevate the shoreline to defend up to one against, uh, excuse me, to defend against up to one and a half feet of sea level rise. So this is again lower than we saw in the Embarcadero area. The reason here is that there's more space and we can adapt in phases. So where we have, for example, the creek edges or the, the kind of edges along Terry Francois Boulevard, you can kind of build a berm or levee and add to that berm over time. So here we see a combination of seawalls uh, along the Embarcadero and ballpark frontages and then berm or levee structures along the creeks and along the uh, Mission Bay kind of outer edge. Um, this would also connect into higher ground where there are active projects that are, that are being developed that are already building their sites to a higher elevation, such as Mission Rock, Pier 70 developments, also the ports open space projects at Crane Cove Park or uh, Bayfront Park, which is currently under construction. And one other feature of this area is closure structures on the two historic bridges that um, cross over Mission Creek third, at 3rd and 4th Street. Um, these are structures that could be closed in the event of a, a high tide or extreme storm event. Um, it would be very disruptive when this happens because it, particularly to the Muni system that crosses the 4th Street Bridge. However, we think for many decades this is going to be a very infrequent occurrence, less than once a year. Ultimately, the long-term strategy is going to have to be to elevate and rebuild these bridges. Um, that's not included in this plan at this time. And then moving on to our final reach uh, in uh, the southern waterfront at Slayus Creek and Bayview area also includes the ports, uh, maritime and industrial uh, facilities. Uh, we also would be proposing to elevate the shoreline to defend against up to one and a half feet of sea level rise here. Again, not the major sort of, you know, tightness uh, uh of the Embarcadero and there's more space to adapt over time. This includes a combination of sort of short flood walls uh, along the edges of the uh, maritime facilities and then berms and nature-based features along the kind of inner portions of the creek connecting to existing higher ground where it exists at the sort of port backlands and uh, the PG&E power plant 
And to give a sense of what this kind of berm or levee structure could look like, here's an example. It could be vegetated to allow for habitat as well as have recreational and open space, you know, and multi-use path type uses. This is what we would propose along the edges of those creeks and along the sort of bayfront edge along Mission Bay. So to go quickly into a couple key considerations, first, just to make the point that this is, you know, a massive, complex, and expensive project. It's, gonna, it's not going to be built all at once. It's going to be built in phases as funding becomes available. Um, and we're going to be working towards developing a phasing plan. Uh, and, you know, how do we prioritize which places go first based on the level of risk, equity considerations, related, you know, partnership or collaboration opportunities, and, and other factors. So that's going to be coming, just something to consider. And then, you know, in terms of historic pre preservation, um, obviously this body is familiar with the two um, national historic districts in this area, the Embarcadero and Union Ironworks Historic Districts. Both of them are within, you know, this study area. So we have convened a group of local historic preservation experts. Some of you are on this committee uh, through our Historic Preservation Technical Advisory Committee um, to kind of weigh in and inform our progress on the plan from a historic preservation standpoint. Um, we're going to have to be, you know, doing that compliance with Section 106 of the National Historic Preservation Act. Um, and so we're working, you know, along with the Army Corps and along with the, well, we'll be working along with the State Historic Preservation Officer to develop that programmatic uh, agreement. Um, they haven't kind of engaged just yet, but this development of that agreement is going to be done in parallel to the NEPA process. Um, and it's going to be sort of, you know, signed by the, the SHPO by the port and by the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, and uh, the, the NEPA public comment period is, I think, as was mentioned, is now through the end of March is the formal NEPA public comment period. The public comment and working with, with you all um, and the SHPO and the Corps on the Section 106 will continue throughout the year. So we'll be coming back to have discussions about that. Um, and it needs to be kind of finalized by the time we get to a, a recommended plan uh, base, basically around the end of next year. Sorry, end of this year, excuse me. And lastly, you know, we've provided city feedback on the draft plan. It's been a very positive collaboration with the Army Corps of Engineers. We think it's a great plan. We think there's ways that it could be better and enhanced as we work through kind of more detailed design, public space design. Um, you know, we think there's ways to expand the, the, the risk reduction either, you know, to, to other portions of the historic district that aren't currently included in that reach two, or to elevate the scale of features in the southern waterfront to, to defend against higher rates of sea level rise. Uh, we need to work uh, with, the, with the core on more information and detail around uh, how we address contamination and uh, inland drainage as well, stormwater management. And then finally, we've heard a lot from, you know, port tenants and property owners that you know, we really need to focus on sort of minimizing impacts to those, um, those, those folks. Um, and so that's going to be sort of developed through kind of phasing and construction planning moving on. And so finally, to go through just sort of the public comment period, as was mentioned, is open through March 29th. We are coming back here on March, at your March 20th hearing. And there are many ways that the public or uh, other entities can, can formally comment on the plan. It is a formal NEPA comment process, so comments need to be submitted formally through this process or they're not considered through the Army Corps process, and there's many ways you can do that that are listed here. 
or by going to our website at sfport.com slash WRP. And so I'll just leave on a more positive note that, you know, this is a huge opportunity. It's driven by the risks and hazards that we're seeing on the waterfront, but it's a way to build on the historic character of the waterfront that we have today and enhance it, improve and activate the public spaces and address a lot of other kind of city needs that, that we have. So thank you, I'm here and my colleagues are here for any questions. Thank you. With that, we should open up public comment. Members of the public. Yes, members of the public, if you'd like to comment, please come forward. Um, no, ma'am, you have to come up oh, to the microphone. Thank you for the invite today. My name is Patricia Richardson. I'd like to say, well planned. I've worked with you before in the Army Corps of Engineers. Just a couple of points, and I'll take a look at your documents and things. But some ideas, I don't know if it would apply, but uh, toxic waste, um, prenatal care, and also endangered species are some things that you've looked at in the past when you've done the flooding. There are some funding now coming through that I'm seeing through the government. I'll send those th through to you and we'll see if we can help you identify some immediate funding. And um, I think that's about it. Also, with regards to insurance companies as well with the flooding and an impact to homeowners and things like that. Those are the things, some more things I'll add and comment to you, but thank you. Thank you. Last call for public comment. Seeing no additional requests to speak, Commissioner's public comment is closed and this informational item is now before you. Thank you, Commissioner Foley. Uh, super interesting, a lot of work and I just, I can't imagine what it's gonna look like when you start doing the work and. 10 or 15 or 20 years. Um, I just had a couple questions. I think the plan is to raise buildings like the Ferry Building. Is that? That's that, Yes, that's currently in the plan. Yeah, to elevate great. the Ferry Building and, um, excuse me, historic bulkhead buildings as well. Great, and then we kind of stopped um, at Aquatic Park when, when, we, when the renovation of the Presidio happened, all that Bayland became, um, you know, the old, the old airport went away and that became Baylands. Are we not worried about the marina for sea level rise or is it's kind of going to There are, yeah, and there are other city agencies kind of and, and state and federal agencies working on other parts of the shoreline. It's not included in the in this flood study with the Army Corps of Engineers, um, but it is, you know, those that are moving forward through other efforts. Um, I do understand there's, there's work on, for example, Chrissy Field through the Park Service. Um, You'd have to ask them about the details, but yeah. Great, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Baldoff. I want to follow up on Commissioner Can, can you use your microphone, please? Right. Uh, I'll learn at some point. Um, I, I um, wanted to follow up on Commissioner Foley's um, question because this was a question I had when I got a very nice presentation on this last week from the department, and I actually appreciate this little diagram that shows which different um, agendas this is on, because I agree that we're sort of the Historic Preservation Commission for the entire city of San Francisco, and so I think we need at some point to get a briefing from the department about the interrelationship of all of these different efforts, because I um, 
used the marina, the small boat marina, and I witnessed how the renovation at Chrissy Field dramatically affected the silting at the mouth to the marina. And so this is hydrodynamics, and it doesn't stop at little lines that are drawn on a plan. It all works together. And I think we need to understand the whole thing together. So I'm very impressed with all the work, but I don't know, Mr. Sucre, how we best can get like a overall understanding of what's going on. Sure, I might defer to Mr. Shaw over here, might be able to give some insight. Good afternoon, Jeremy Shaw, Planning Department staff. Appreciate the question, Commissioner Baldoff. Uh, absolutely, I think uh, at, the, at the beginning of the presentation, Adam mentioned the Climate SF group. So currently, all city agencies are coordinating on exactly these issues. Uh, I can't speak to the hydrology, but you're right. They don't, the water doesn't stop at any jurisdictional boundary. Um, I, I would like to point out a f just a few key uh, plans that were adopted recently, and then we can come back and provide a more fulsome sort of explanation of what's going on citywide. But you may, you may recall that last year, the Ocean Beach Climate Change Adaptation Plan was adopted by the PUC. So there is a robust plan at Ocean Beach. Um, and as you go around the waterfront, Adam mentioned there are federal jurisdictions, National Park Service, uh, and then the port. And as you continue south and southeast, there are three or four development agreements that um, have been approved. You may be aware of that all have commitments to sea level rise, um, whether it's through through various designs that um, Adam has covered. And so, and then finally, in 2021, uh, the planning department, actually with the leadership of, of uh, Adam and former planning department staff uh, adopted the Islaus Creek uh, Southeast Mobility Adaptation Strategy, which had specific strategies in the vein of what Adam has shared today for Islaus Creek, including a number of public facilities there. And then finally, um, Danielle and uh, department staff are working also with, with the port and state parks on a similar plan that takes the, sort of the Islaus Creek as a model for public outreach to to do similar planning at the Yosemite Slough uh, neighborhood, which is between Candlestick Point and, and the shipyard. So there's a lot going on, which makes it hard to just summarize, but um, we would be happy to, to give you an overview or a, a, the commission a briefing another time with details on, on all of that. Thank you. Sure. Um, Um, I guess one of the things that would be really helpful in an overview is, as I received the briefing, there are different assumptions of the rate of rise and there are different um, benchmarks in terms of time. And it would be interesting to be able to look at, all right, are we using the same set of assumptions as we march around the waterfront, or are they different assumptions? And um, it's, I guess, I'm just trying to get big picture here. Yeah, I can answer that a little bit. The, the city does have uh, adopted sea level rise guidance for all capital projects um, that, that is regularly updated. And in fact, the state just came out with sort of an update, a draft. It's in draft, and they're looking for comments right now. Uh, updated sort of sea level science and what uh, levels we should be using for planning purposes. The city will, once that's adopted, the city will presumably update its capital planning guidance as well, and so that we are all kind of working 
off the same, you know, expectation in terms of, you know, elevations that we're, that we're working towards. And, you know, it's not a, there's no one exact figure that we can give, which is why it can be confusing and we tend to leave it out of public presentations. You know, it's a range, um, but we will have sort of a clear, you know, the city does have clear guidance and it gets regularly updated as, as the science is updated. Thank you. Commissioner Wright. Yes, thank you. Um, I, I want to uh, thank you for your presentation. Um, it's, it was really an impressive uh, plan um, and presentation, lots of moving parts and information to get our arms around. Um, I'd like to kind of echo the comment of Commissioner Baldorf um, and Foley about um, you know, what is, um, you know, is there coordination with the other agencies um, adjacent to, and, and do you know, um, is the Army Corps of Engineers involved in those other uh, adjacent areas? Are they working with the Park Service for the, the part of the waterfront that is, is more Park Service? It's, it seems like they would be, um, but uh, and it seems like the Army Corps would be the, uh, the uh, group that has the expertise that, that would be the consistent thread, but um, that, that would be helpful information, uh, I think. I will say that, you know, any project that, you know, through this flood study, any project that comes out of it, it you know, it's going to need to kind of tie off to high ground at some point. So it's going to have to be a complete system. And that, and that goes for sort of the underground drainage system as well, that the stormwater piping and stuff. Uh, and so, you know, for example, on the southern boundary, as this study area passes Heron's Head Park, there's higher ground at the power plant site there. It will connect the high ground will connect so that it's not like, uh, you know, it just comes, the water just comes around. It's a separate basin that needs to be addressed. And obviously mm -hmm. that goes, you know, for the entirety of the coastline and the bay. Um, I don't know the answer to the question about whether the Army Corps is working with the Park Service or not. Yeah, and, and uh, you did make note that this is kind of the first for the Army Corps. Uh, I guess I was kind of raising that question uh, uh, that I was just asking, uh, but if this this is the first um, that considers maybe some of the extra um, uh, um, environment or um, sorry economic uh, impacts is that that where you were, you were saying and as well as environmental and social impacts yeah right and and so um, the they're not. Uh, they haven't worked with like the city of New York or other major metropolitan areas that have um, similar waterfront issues. So they do. They do have studies all over the country. Um, New York, in fact, is a little has a similar study to us. Is a bit ahead of us in the process. And in fact, New York did do. It's a little bit of a fine distinction. New York did a comprehensive benefit analysis. This the first. The what's the first about here is that we've actually selected our plan based on the results of that analysis. And so that's what's unique about this one. But their process is evolving. We've been talking to coastal cities around the country, New York, Norfolk, uh, Charleston, Miami, um, as well as other cities that are working with the, on flood projects with the, um, with the Corps, such as Denver has done some innovative stuff. So we're trying to you know, understand how other cities are working with the Corps, what, what policies, you know, how, how to work those things and things like that. But, you know that this they do have this type of 
you know, major project. And when it goes into the sort of, you know, congressional funding, you have those other projects that are also in those, you know, you know, appropriations bills and things like that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Nagas Warren. Um, I can't speak to all of the different jurisdictions, but um, since I am uh, employed by Fort Mason Center, um, that's part of the reason why I'm part of this group, so I can understand better uh, the Historic Preservation Technical Advisory Committee that, that uh, Mr. Paez has put together. Um, you know, we're heavily interested in what they're doing. Um, our peers at Fort Mason Center are higher um, than those in the, on the Embarcadero, so a little bit different. Um, but we are still going, right now we're doing a, a climate initiative study to understand sea level rise, to see where all of it's coming in. Um, so it helps us to know what the Army Corps is doing. And um, the suggestion was made at the last HPTAC meeting that um, you know, there be a connection with NPS, like you, you both had um, you know, acknowledged that there should be some coordination. Um, so uh, I, I think one of the things that would be helpful also for everybody to understand is the timeline of when this study will come to fruition and the areas that will be um, dealt with um, first. Um, I think one of the things that I wonder about is um, the Islaus Bayview area because um, we're dealing with uh, vulnerable populations, minority populations, um, and the connection of transportation in that area um, into the city um, and sort of a lot of landfill in the southern quadrant. Um, so I, would, I, I wanted to know um, what would the timeline is for the work and what areas are being considered first and also with the phasing in other areas outside of the Embarcadero. Um, you had talked about the phases of doing improvements. Um, so are, are they building upon each other or do they have to be replaced completely? Um, so let me try to take that kind of one piece at a time. So I think the, um, in terms of the timeline, you know, right now, so right now we have this draft plan, and mm -hmm. as I mentioned, it you know it, it doesn't include a number of things, and one of those things is sort of a, a phasing plan, um, and that's something we're going to be developing with the Army Corps of Engineers. It's something that our director uh, Elaine Forbes has been very interested in as well, you know, to develop that phasing plan to get it into our kind of final plan. Um, so that's going to be kind of over the next year to put together that phasing plan based on some of those factors, such as equity or geographic equity factors, risk factors, um, are there opportunities to coordinate with uh, you know, a private development project or something like that, or a city capital project, all of that you know, will go into that phasing plan. So over the next year, we'll develop that, and then we'll have more information to, to share about these are the areas that we expect to have, uh, or that we, that we propose to have um, you know, action first, and as we go, you know, before Congress for authorization and appropriations, you know, we'd be looking to get design funding for those first areas first. And then, you know, then get design funding for the next areas and maybe get construction funding for those first areas, et cetera. So that's kind of how that process would work. But I think that we can better answer your question, you know, six months to a year from, mm -hmm. from now. 
And I think there was one other question um, there. Yeah. Like, when would you start implementing some of the design once it's developed? I mean, not before 2030, but, you know, that would be, we have to do the detailed design phase. We have to get, you know, finish the study, get the appropriations, you know, get congressional action, detailed design, five to 10 years. So, you know, somewhere in the 2030s would be the best answer right now. Did he answer your question about this list? Um, yes, I think he's working on it. Okay. There's Thank one thing you. I wanted to mention about ISLIS that I that I forgot to mention, which you may be familiar with, but the Third Street Bridge uh -huh. is also subject to a project with the Department of Public Works. So that's actually being reconstructed right now and will be adapted to a higher elevation. So that one is sort of taken care of from a flooding <laughs> perspective outside of this study. And the, that's the one, you know, the light rail goes right, over. Right, right. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Wright. Um, yeah, so um, I, I actually wanted to just uh, comment on um, on the comment period. Um, so it, it sounds like the comment period for the NEPA process is um, until you said March 29th, um, but that the comment period for the National Historic Preservation Act, Section 106, uh, will continue on, um, and I just... Two months sounds long, but um, in actuality is very, very short. Uh, there are some groups um, that meet monthly, or organizations maybe that meet monthly. Um, they have to disseminate information to um, their members and maybe even to um, um, populations that we have um, concern and question, you know, concern about um, in terms of, of equity. And then all of that has to come back and um, People have to have time to develop their comments and then submit them. So I'm, I am curious if two months um, is too short um, for uh, a comment period uh, on a project um, and plan of this size and scale. Hi, thank you. My name is Kelly Capone. Um, I'll address that. I, what we're doing, um, our Army Corps of Engineers is the lead for for moving forward with the Section 106 uh, process. Um, the, there's a draft programmatic agreement in the draft document now that is out and can be commented on by the public um, in, the com in the NEPA comment period process. So that's the comment period that we're in now that ends on March 29th, a uh, 60-day comment period. The 106 process will continue in parallel to the NEPA process and will be, again, led by the Army Corps of Engineers, but we can um, receive comments on the programmatic agreement all through the 106 process. So it can be revised many, many times. There's, there's not a set number of revisions that we do. It's very different than the NEPA commenting process. So um, there's opportunities for for people to become um, consulting parties in the Section 106 process and work very closely with us through the revisions of the programmatic agreement, especially as we work closely, more closely with SHPO on that, on that agreement too. So that process can continue and we anticipate that we want to move through that process to get 
to a final programmatic agreement and signatures about the same time that we get a final report through the NEPA process, and that is roughly at the end of 2024. Okay, and, and so um, this is kind of the higher level plan um, for the programmatic agreement and the uh, and guiding how people um, and jurisdictions, or you know, us, um, public, et cetera, would engage. Um, I guess, and and I think you surely know, but for clarity for others, that historic preservation is is also um, one part of um, environmental impact um, that would be considered under NEPA, um, which you know, much broader environmental, but um, historic preservation is one one little part of that. So um, it is good to hear that there will still be. Uh, ability for people to weigh in, um, and and just to clarify, is that that's only strictly under um, Section 106 from then on? Uh, it seems like there would be uh, NEPA uh, and environmental impacts that under NEPA that would continue to be reviewed um, on such a plan, even if there is a programmatic agreement. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be a high-level NEPA document, a high-level EIS. It's not um, being termed as a programmatic document, but it will uh, require follow-up NEPA uh, because we don't have a design at this point. So it, it, it's, it's, it's conceptual. Right now it's really more close, closer to a conceptual plan. So we'll have to, um, but the programmatic agreement will set up the steps that need to be taken when we get into a more detailed design. It'll lay out the steps, so it's really important that we that we get a good programmatic agreement so that as we proceed and we get more design that we can really address the, the historic resources. Um, and the, the, the NEPA process, again, is, is at that high level also, so we'll have to have follow-up NEPA uh, documents that are much closer to project level Thank in you. the future. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Foley. Uh, I, I just want to say a couple things. One, you're doing a lot of work and there's a lot of moving parts, and I think everyone here at this commission appreciates it. Um, I kind of want to follow up to one of my first comments that Commissioner Baldoff followed up on, and that is you did say there's going to be a complete system strategy, but when I think about Ocean Beach and I think about the marina, and I think about Fort Mason, which I really enjoy going to, Vice President Ruchira, I go there a lot. Um, I do hope that it's, at a certain point there is a comprehensive strategy, because my concern would be is we start dealing with one part and actually we cause more aggravation or more, more damage to another part. So I just, I want to mention that, and again, I want to mention that I really appreciate the work you're doing, but I just hope that the city family will figure out a comprehensive both strategy and financing, but 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 thank you very much for your work, and thank you very much for coming here today. Thank you, Commissioner Nagus Warren. Well, one of the things that um, the consultants that we're using for our uh, climate um, study at Fort Mason Center um, drew from was the city has a website um, that has a lot of different maps of flood studies and earth quakes and sea level rise. Um, I, I don't exactly remember what, where, what the address is for that, but um, there's multiple um, maps that show 
the inundation of different areas. Um, so I think that was hugely helpful to have that. And I'm sure that some of the things that the Army Corps um, has in, in their tools is that or we're borrowing from them. So um, that's all. Thank you. Commissioner Baldoff. I um, I'm curious that is Fort Mason Center on its own in this whole situation? I mean, it's a federal, it's part of GGNRA. I don't understand why the um, Army Corps, and I, I'm curious, and this is this jurisdictional problem that I think Commissioner Foley is talking about, that we have this sort of balkanization of pro projects on a issue that is inherently unified. I, so that's a question to you, Commissioner. I don't know how. I, 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 do you, what do you know? I mean, why is why is uh, um, Fort Mason on its own here? Why is it? Uh, so, our agreement with the Park Service is that we are a master lessee of the Fort Mason Lower Fort Mason property, and so we have a long-term lease where we manage the site and we do work with the Park Service on um, on rehabilitation of our peers um, to have, they, they, they use federal funds to um, update the substructure and we do the superstructure. Um, and so that is that relationship. The Presidio has a separate relationship with the Park Service. They have a programmatic agreement and um, establish the Presidio Trust. So there are, you know, differences, obviously, Ours, Fort Mason Center is on federal property, so it would not be under the jurisdiction of the city of San Francisco. Um, and so, uh, but Army Corps of Engineers is a, you know, is, is the federal government as well. So it's a curious question. We also would like to kind of delve into a little bit more, but um, we're just starting ours and they're just starting there. So we're getting into it for this study. Thank you. Are there any more questions or comments from the commission? Seeing none, I think we're through with the agenda item. That's it. <laughs> there are no other items. Thank you very much for your presentation today. Thank you again. Thank you. See you, commissioners, on the 21st. It will be a full day. <laughs>